Dad, I wonder if we could pick up the on the travels of you and your brother George in 1963 doing this big road trip through Mexico in a Volkswagen Beetle. And I remember you telling me a story about you, the two of you being mistaken for revolutionaries. Welcome to episode eight of the many near deaths of John Heisinga. John Heisinga is my father, and he has almost died a great number of times and in an unusual variety of ways. We had been in Mexico about over four months. So we decided we were going to head for home. Hmm. And so we're in the Yucatan. And so we decide to drive up the east coast of Mexico. Well, nobody does that. And so there's not a tourist area. It's kind of swampy and so on. So, and, and there's kind of little one lane, two lane back roads, lots of towns, lots of little farms, but uh, 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 no tourists. So we drive and drive and then... One day, it's approaching dusk, and then at that time of day, we look for a campsite. So we want a campsite kind of away from other people, because then we we don't get bothered. So we see a road, a little sandy lane that runs off to the right, and it goes between two fields of sugarcane. Hmm. So sugarcane is like corn, you know, it grows five, six, eight feet high, I don't know, but it's completely hides you. So we drive down there for about a mile, and then the road widens a little bit, we turn around, and then we set up our camp. So what we've worked out is a system where we take the seats out of the Volkswagen, and then we can lie down full length in the Volkswagen, uh, one on each side of the, the, the gear shifter. And that worked just fine. Huh. So. And this is like a whole, this isn't just like putting the seats back. This is you getting your tools out and unbolting the seats and taking them all out of the car. Yeah? I had it worked out so the seats were only on there with one bolt. So it was really <laughs> quick. So, because we did this every day. You get really practiced at it. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Huh. So then we're making our dinner over a little we have a little open fire going and we're cooking something and along come two boys and they're probably about 15 they're not that old and they're very surprised to see us but they also seem nervous like they really keep their distance huh. so then we offer them some tortillas and they're saying no no no, no and then they take off uh-huh okay so then after a bit, we, we, we go to bed, we get the Volkswagen, we shut the doors, we go to sleep. And at some time in the night, it's dead dark. There's a rapping on the window, really loud. And so I get up, we both get to sit up, and I open the door. And you, there's just enough light to see there's three or four guys, or maybe more, you don't know. But they're all got machetes. Oh. And... One of them has an old, really ancient muzzle-loading gun with a very long barrel. 
So he's kind of pointing it in our direction. So then they say, we try to figure out what's going on. They don't want to talk to us. They don't want to explain anything. The only thing they say is, you have to go with us. What did they look like? What, what they look like is they were, they were in their traditional Mexican peon campesino clothes. And that was, uh, and that was a, a, a completely white pants with really wide leggings huh. and sandals, car tire sandals. Uh-huh. And it's also a very loose white shirt, and of course the the sombreros. And this was the this was the traditional campesino dress in Mexico for hundreds of years. Okay, yeah, this is it's familiar. Um, I have in mind like Diego Rivera murals. Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. That's exactly what that was. That's what they're all wearing. Okay. So then we get our seats put back in and we get the Volkswagen, we get in the car and then two young guys, maybe 18, 19, they get in the back. With machetes? No, one of them, but one of them has a knife, quite a long knife, and he's holding it kind of at the ready. So we don't know what's going on. But anyway, we decide, so we we follow. So now there's about four or five guys I don't know, two or three guys walking in front of the car and another two or three behind the car. Uh-huh. So we drive along and we have to drive at walking speed. Then we come to the road and then the guys in the back say, turn right. Yeah, okay. Very important, turn right. Okay. If you turn left, we'll all die. Oh. So, so we decide, okay. So then... As we get to the intersection of the road, then we see a whole, it looks like a scene right out of the Mexican Revolution. There's all of these guys in their white uh, campesino clothing, and they've completely blocked the road turn to the left, and they completely block the laneway that continues on into more sugarcane fields across the road. Wow. How many guys do you think? Must be 20. Okay. Maybe more. Yeah. And they're all armed. Uh-huh. Some of them have old blunderbusses, old muzzle-loading guns left over from the Mexican Revolution or what, I don't know. But most of them have machetes. So we, we turn right. <laughs> <laughs> Good choice. Good choice. <laughs> and we, we still have no idea what this is all about. So we go about a half a kilometer then we get to a village, and it has the Zocalo, you know, the town square. So we pull into the town square, and there they say, okay, you wait here. And then they stand there, they're guarding us, right? And, and, and then the jefe, who is the, the chief, then he comes out. Now it's safe for him to come out of his house. And so he comes out of his house and then they set us down on a bench, and then the jefe and a whole bunch of people ask questions. Who are we? Where we come from? Why are we in the sugarcane fields? Why do we have beards? What's wrong with our Spanish? And on and on and on. And so it like takes an hour, and we tell them we're from Canada. What is <laughs> Canada? They never heard of the place. 
I, Dad, do I remember correctly that when you tried to cross the border, you were from, like, you drove from Canada through the United States to Mexico <laughs> in 1963. And when you tried to cross the border into Mexico, there was a lot of uh, discussion because the, they weren't sure about Canada. And eventually you talked them into it. It was a just a state they'd never heard of in the U.S.? Yes, that's what they wanted to know. Okay. Canada. So it, the, the awareness of Canada was not high no. in Mexico in the, end, in the early when, 60s. When we crossed that border, in the end, they believed that Canada was a state that was way in the north up by Alaska that they didn't know about. Okay. So, but in this okay. case, these guys don't believe us. Oh. So then, finally, they say, okay, we'll, we're going to talk to you again in the morning. And they take our passports. Oh. And then they lock us up in a kind of an adobe building. And, and it's got a big steel door on it. And so then we get in there, and it's really dark. And, uh, and then the door clang shut. It's a big steel door, and they put a big padlock on it. So there we are. Well, what can we do? Well, I guess we go to sleep. So then about 10 minutes later, they open the door, and they, they toss in a bucket for us to piss in. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. So the next day, and we can't really tell if it's daylight, the oh, next, there's no windows. There's no windows. Oh. It's just uh Is it the jail? No, I don't know. I think it's a storage place for who knows what, turnips or something. So <laughs> so then finally the door opens and the light is just blinding. We can't see. Because it's already well into the day. Oh, okay. And the jefe is there. Okay. Well, they sent a couple of guys in one of their old trucks to a bigger town. And they say it's a long ways away. And in the bigger town, they got information that Canada was a real place. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, and that these passports were probably genuine and that, uh, and that, that, that they were okay. So then the cafe... Is, uh, it's all resolved, and so he invites us into his house, and where we have a breakfast of tortillas and eggs, and then he gives us a tour of the town. Okay. Now, it's not much of a town, but it's got a river that runs through it. And in that river, we're thinking, there's a woman washing her clothes upstream. There's a kid, a couple of kids taking a piss in the river. Then there's the cafe's house, and she goes to the river and scoops out a coffee pot full of water. Huh. So. Well, you're glad she boiled it anyway. Well, we made sure. We weren't going to drink it if it hadn't boiled, like, for at least two minutes. So, Did you did. guys know about that? Did oh, you know yeah. about water safety and oh, boiling yeah, yeah. water? Oh, yeah, we yeah. knew okay. about that. So, but it boiled. It mm. sat there and boiled, boiled, boiled. So then he takes us for a tour of his village. He's very proud of the village because this is my village, he says, as he thumps himself on his scrawny chest. So then 
alongside the river, there's a couple of mounds. And he says, that's how we welcome Cuban terrorists in San Sucre. Oh. Huh. So this whole time, they thought you were Cuban revolutionaries. Out to burn the sugarcane fields. To what end? Who knows? They're just, <laughs> you just don't know. It was just this American propagandized thing. The Mexicans went along with it. Oh. That the Cuban revolutionary, Cuban revolutionary felt Fidel Castro were really evil. And, uh, and by that time, they had invited the Russians in. Right. Otherwise, of course, the Americans would have taken it back. And, uh, and so, yeah, it was just this overriding fear of communism. And those people are capable of doing anything. Right, 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 right. And you guys had beards by this point, so you, oh, yeah. you looked a little bit like Fidel and Che Guevara. Yeah, and, yeah, and we yeah, looked yeah. scruffy, uh -huh. and we didn't certainly didn't look Mexican, uh -huh. and we had funny Spanish accents. Right, right, and right, right. So, and they wouldn't necessarily know uh, what what a Canadian accent sounded like. But the thing is, some misunderstanding during this process. And we would have entered up as two mountain, two more mountains along that river. Right. Huh. Right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And did you two at the time feel like you'd really, oh, that was close? Not so much. Okay. We knew all along that they probably weren't going to murder us. A whole gang of 20 people. Aren't all going to conspire to murder two people they don't know? I think it's more dangerous if it's one or two guys. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yes. And then we would have been more worried. Uh huh. As in, they could, they, they could kill you for any number of reasons, but mostly to get the car and get whatever we had. Mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah. So how did that end? You had you had breakfast, and uh, you then just... we had our tour. Yeah. Then we all shook hands, and we wished each other well. Uh huh. And one uh, sweat day, and we took off, and then we drove to Veracruz, and from Veracruz we follow Cortez's, we we follow Cortez's footsteps into Mexico City. Oh wow! 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 Okay. Yeah. And then from Mexico City, you guys went home, back to Canada. Well, then we drove to, uh, yeah, we, we went to California, actually. And then there, there's like, there's a couple good stories about that trip to California that maybe you could touch on. One is <clears throat> when you crossed the border... You bought a bunch of booze in Mexico, and then there's an issue when you cross the border, and then there's some whole thing about getting gas to get all the way home. We had mostly run out of money. We didn't have much money left. <clears throat> so what money we had left, we bought super cheap Mexican liquor, super, super cheap, and we had two big boxes of it. And then the guys, it was in El Paso, I think. The guys, the border guy finds all the liquor. So he says, and what they did when we got to the border, 
they had us park our car beside a table, and we had to take everything out. Okay. So this is going into the U.S. Yeah. from Mexico. Okay. So then the guy saw you can't have all this liquor, too much liquor. And, uh, and then what I do is I take a <laughs> bottle of Mexican liquor, tequila probably, and I said, well, that's a waste. And he says, yeah, sure is. I swear, here, give me that. And I glugged the entire bottle down. And do you think that's like, what, a liter, something like that? I don't know what it was. But, but like a big bottle of booze, not just like was, a little airplane bottle or something. No, no, it was a pretty good-sized bottle of booze. And I just glugged it right down. Uh-huh. And But the thing is, we had bought all small bottles, as we had already decided that we're going to sell them for gasoline. Oh, to so get back. one okay. Mickey, as it were, is probably worth a tank full of Volkswagen gas. Okay. So, <laughs> So it must have been one of those. So then the guy is, the butter guy is so impressed. <laughs> he is just, wow, you know. And then he tells his buddies. And they're all really impressed with this, this bravado or whatever it was. So then they finally said, yeah, you can put it back. They let you take it all. No, I put the two boxes back right away, and they forgot or something. We got it all. (laughs) (laughs) So then you pull up to a gas station, Uh and you say, Hi, hi, do you drink? No, try the guy down the street, the Esso. Okay, so then we try the Esso. Yeah, you drink. You want some Mexican brews? We'll trade you for gas. Okay. And that's how we got to uh, California. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you can join us for the next episode of The Many Near Deaths of John Heisinger. 